This is News Talk on the VOCM Bigland FM radio network. The views and opinions on this program are not necessarily those of this station. And now your News Talk host, Linda Swain. And good afternoon, everyone. I trust you're having a good day. Well, the discussion has dominated uh, VOCM Open Line over the last number of days, and in particular since uh, the very sad passing of a young man in the downtown of St. John's quite suddenly from a uh, drug overdose, uh, Ben Olivero, whose mother... Uh, Tina Olivero has been uh, channeling her grief and trying to find ways to cope after uh, his sudden passing. Um, and uh, Tina Olivero has been very open in discussing her son Ben's um, addictions and mental health uh, struggles. And today she held uh, with um, other families and, and people affected by uh, what some people are calling a drug and mental health crisis in Newfoundland and Labrador. They held a rally at Confederation Building or just outside Confederation Building today to share their stories, their very painful stories of loss because of addictions and uh, seeking some form of, um, I suppose, uh, action from the provincial government. Well, VOCM's Richard Duggan is with me now. And uh, Richard, you attended that rally, which I understand is still underway. Is that correct? Yes, when I was leaving, so the, the, the formal portion of the rally had clued up around quarter after three, and then they had asked if uh, there was any Anybody else who would like to come up and share their stories and a couple of people um, did come up to the microphone um, I left uh, just after 3:30, and there were still people speaking still a, a crowd of people around uh, listening to those stories and I think the way that I could sort of sum up the afternoon at this rally um, would be raw emotion um, that, that's the best way I can describe it and then Honestly, I don't know if that even sort of does it justice. You'd have to be there and to hear those stories to really get a grasp of just how people are feeling. Um, we mentioned before we came on the air, just as I had come back, um, that there are certain stories uh, when you're a reporter and when you're in the news business that sort of stick with you. And coming back from that rally, I feel like that today is going to be one of those for me um, because it was just there there, it, there was just so much emotion and the raw and real stories from people. Uh, I think that's what I come away from today with is hearing those stories, the real stories of people who have watched others struggle, people who are still struggling, and people who are grieving now and trying to make the system better. Well, yeah, because, I mean, we see the headlines, um, we look at stats, and really, uh, they're nameless and faceless until you put a family member to it and see what the impact is, not just on uh, the person affected, but the people around them. Absolutely. And I think when I look at 
because this this event was going on uh, two hours, um, and there are sort of two moments that I think really stick out for me in terms of how this this uh, rally and uh, the effects of the situation with drugs in the province. There are two. So the the first was right at the beginning of the rally. Um, they started with a song and they sang the song in the arms of the angels, and. As they were singing that song, I was sort of looking around the crowd, and it was almost like something out of a movie, almost, because you had the the gray backdrop of the sky, and it was still drizzling rain. There are people with umbrellas up, and their hoods are up, and you look around, and you're seeing red eyes, people crying. You're seeing people cuddled into each other for comfort. Um, and that's one of the moments that sort of stuck out for me from that rally is, is that image. In particular, there, there was one couple uh, that I was focused on. It looked to be a mother and a son, and they were sort of huddled together, and you could see the tears streaming down their face. They were holding a sign, and it was that was the emotion right from the get-go um, at that rally. And then, so that was at the start, and then I guess to bookend it, the other one that really sticks out in my mind was right at the end, because as as I had mentioned, um, after the formal proceedings were over, they said, is there anybody else that would like to come up and talk? And right away, there was a woman uh, who I found out was a, is a grandmother, and her grandchild and another lady was there and her daughter is struggling with addiction right now and she spoke very passionately um, for about 10 minutes about the struggles that her daughter is going through about how you know she's downtown sleeping inside of parking garages and you know it's awful and the thing that really struck me about it was the granddaughter who was there who's about the same age as my son and she was crying and at one point I was looking and she was sort of nudging her grandmother and kind of motioning like I'd like to say something and she handed the the mic off to her daughter and uh, she had just said mom please come home because she's of what she's into and I that sort of really hit home specifically for me being a dad and having a a child that's around the same age so all of that to say that it was an incredibly emotional afternoon and there are tons more stories like that uh there are people who are still struggling with addiction there was one one man he came up and um he is sober now, but he's he's still struggling. And at one point during his speech, he said that he had gotten so bad into it that his parents were planning his funeral while he was still alive. And it, stories like that, there's so much, and it's really hard to encapsulate. Even just, I, I could speak until 5 o'clock and still not fully encapsulate what was going on there. But it was uh, an incredibly emotional afternoon. And politicians were there, and they did hear the concerns. And I know that Tina Olivero, the one who, as you had mentioned, had organized this whole thing, um, she had mentioned that she will be meeting with government tomorrow, one-on-one meetings with the health minister, with the justice minister, um, to try to get some solutions. Uh, for sure. And I think we've all um, seen the impact of uh, what's been happening in recent years. Um, and the issue is really 
taking on uh, completely new dimensions, hasn't it, in recent years, or so it seems, it's become much more visible, mm-hmm. I think. Uh, it's always existed, but I think it's become much more visible, even to ordinary citizens going around doing their own, you know, thing. Um, and it's not just here in Newfoundland and Labrador, let's be clear on that. It's oh, yeah. all over North America, for sure, and, and many other places besides. Um, so what are the solutions? Was anything, you know, explored today, or it was just telling the stories of families? It was a lot of telling the stories of families. Uh, there were, I, I'll tell you, when uh, Justice Minister John Hogan got up and spoke specifically, there were a lot of families in the crowd who were yelling out, you know, we, we don't want words, we want action. What action are you going to do? Um, and what exactly that looks like, I don't think we necessarily was hammered out today about what is needed. I think staffing for you know, supports for people um, and um, being able to get in for the help, eliminating the wait lists, I think, was another one. Um, but I think the the solutions will be hammered out, um, you know, as the conversations progress between uh, Tina, her group, and government. And I know that she invited today other uh, families who were there, if they want to come in and, and sit in on those meetings, they can. Um, I think that that's that that's some of the solutions I guess that that they did present uh, and again there's a, a lot um, in this afternoon to unpack um, but I think th- those are some of the main the the crux of some of the main ones I think that were brought up what strikes me just uh, hearing you speak about it is uh, you know that um, like I said you know we see the headlines we've seen the stats but these are families and these are families that care very deeply and are it sounds like they're frustrated by their inability to help their loved ones. Yes, and there was um, a lot of that today, and, and some of that emotion did boil over at times. Um, when the justice minister was speaking, there was a, a family that was situated behind him, and they had uh, this banner with their son's face on it, and he had been seeking, um, I believe it was uh, mental health supports, and he had been released from the hospital and end up committing suicide so you know they they became very emotional they in and in their in the way that they were approaching it and you could tell there there was definitely anger not just in their um, language and and in the way that they were presenting their situation but in other people as well because then you know someone else from from down in the crowd on the other side the steps would chime in and say you know and, and agree and say yeah more needs to be done so there's that I think is sort of I think that's what they wanted to get out of this rally today I think they wanted to put a face to that emotion because like you said Linda it's one thing to say um one person has died or two people have died but until you have the face to that and the face of the people that are affected by it the people who've been left behind that's when it truly hits home and I think from my perspective anyway, I think that was achieved in many ways today. Richard Duggan, I know this was a hard one for you. Uh, I've known you long enough now to know when things are affecting you. Mm-hmm. Uh, really appreciate you taking the time with us uh, this afternoon to tell, uh, you know, give a little overview of what happened there today. And, uh, and we'll no doubt be talking a lot more about this, uh, possible solutions and uh, some of the debates surrounding that in the coming days. Really appreciate this. Thanks. Thank you, Linda. And I will say uh, tomorrow morning on the VOCM Morning Show, we will have some excerpts of some of the 
the really powerful um, speeches that were given uh, today. So uh, be sure to tune in tomorrow morning uh, to hear some of that. Thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, VOCM's uh, Richard Duggan, who was at that rally at Confederation Building today. Well, coming up, the province provides an update on its efforts to expand access to affordable child care. We'll hear from Minister Crystalyn Howell coming up right after this. This is News Talk on VOCM. Nutrition, exercise, keeping the cold at bay. Whatever keeps you feeling great, the Wellness and Healthy Lifestyle Show on your VOCM. Well, Education Minister Crystalyn Howell provided a status update this morning on government's efforts to expand access to affordable child care in the province. You may recall that uh, last week sometime we, uh, on the VOCM question of the day, and it's not scientific by any means, um, asked if people are still having or if they know anybody who's still having trouble accessing uh, child care. And the overwhelming majority of those who responded said yes. Well, um, Crystal and Hal made the announcement uh, this morning providing that update at the YMCA's pre-kindergarten site at East Point Elementary in St. John's. VOCM's Brian Callahan was there. And there are currently 8,300 child care spaces operating at $10 a day or lower throughout the province. Since January 1st of this year, approximately 820 child care spaces have been created and are operating at $10 a day. So that's, that's positive news. Now we are aware that there are challenges and we're continuing to work to grow the capacity and to increase that number. When we look at our pre-K, our pre-kindergarten program, the implementation plan is well underway. There are currently 18, and I'm pretty sure yesterday that number was 17, so today we have 18 pre-kindergarten locations that are open, representing 340 child care spaces. Another 17 sites will become operational in the next few weeks. So in total, that leaves us with 35 pre-kindergarten sites that will create approximately 600 regulated training, learning and child care spaces. So in addition to creating these spaces for children in the year before kindergarten, we're opening up spaces for other age groups at existing child care services. So a full implementation of the pre-kindergarten will create approximately 3,100 spaces by 2026. So we're, we're looking to set goals and, and meet and even achieve what it is that we've set out here. And uh, we've been working diligently with our partners to accomplish that. So we've got some further expansions of, of the pre-kindergarten program to announce in the fall, and uh, the creation of some additional sites will follow. Pre-kindergarten gives children a strong early learning foundation that will support them through a successful transition to kindergarten. And I'm confident that the pre-kindergarten program we've developed here in Newfoundland and Labrador will do just that. Beyond the pre-kindergarten portfolio, we have taken action to support the not-for-profit groups and municipalities to create new regulated early learning and childcare services. 
The government has increased the funding under the existing child care capacity grant from up to $5,000 per space to $7,000 per created space. And I'm pleased to report that there are currently 63 of these sites in various stages of the process to open a not-for-profit child care center in Newfoundland and Labrador. And we have uh, 14 sites in development in the Central East region. We have 24 sites in the Western North Labrador region and 25 sites that are in development here in the St. John's Metro region. So big numbers, great things happening. Organizations that have taken on this challenge involve not non-for-profits, municipalities, and even individuals who want to make a difference and to be part of the child care solution here in Newfoundland and Labrador. So these 63 sites will amount to over 1,150 child care spaces when they're fully opened. So while work is underway to get these things uh, these sites open and operational, we recognize that it's imperative to have the professionals to work in these spaces. So to help increase the number of early childhood educators in the province, the Department of Education has implemented the Early Childhood Educator Wage Grid earlier this year and a wage grid bonus for administrators. And we've also included a Labrador allowance for early childhood educators and administrators who operate in the Labrador portion of our province. Since January 1st of this year, we have over 100 early childhood educators who've become attached to the workforce. So that leaves us with approximately 1,200 early childhood educators working in Newfoundland and Labrador today. So today I'm pleased to announce we've got another piece to that puzzle and we are very proud to be implementing a wage grid francophone bonus in the amount of $5,178 for certified francophone early childhood educators who are working in regulated francophone child care services. And this will be effective from April 1st, 2023. The wage grid bonus will be processed through the operating grant program and it's just another way that our government is working to support early childhood educators in Newfoundland and Labrador with a special focus on the Franco phone communities. Finally, as we continue to implement the initiatives to improve access to affordability related to child care services, we need to better understand the demand in the province. So this fall, the Department of Education will launch a child care demand portal, and that'll allow us to get a clear picture of the level of need in communities all across the province. Further details about that will be shared uh, as the initiative comes to being launched, but we'll continue to investigate ways that we can further enhance this portal to help people uh, find providers and providers to have access to the true need all across the province. So that's a bit of what uh, Education Minister Crystalline Howell had to say this morning at East Point Elementary. And you could hear the uh, participants in the YMCA's pre-kindergarten site there um, in the background having fun and doing their thing. And she gave out an awful lot of uh, statistics and numbers there, but uh, basically providing a bit of a 
outline on uh, some of the measures taken since the implementation of $10 a day child care and the availability of child care spaces because, as we know, uh, that has been an ongoing issue in Newfoundland and Labrador, made even uh, more pressing during the uh, the COVID pandemic and the like. Um, so uh, quite a number of initiatives there to try to address those uh, kinds of things. Um, uh, do difficulties still remain? Absolutely. And if anybody has any thoughts on that, they're certainly welcome to give us a call. Well, Claudette, have you seen the latest news internationally? Russia? Oh, ho. <laughs> Yes. Yes. And I, you know, there were a lot of pundits at the time when uh, Evgeny Prigozhin, the uh, leader or founder of the Wagner Group, that's that mercenary group that was, um, you know, hired by uh, the Russian government to participate in the war in Ukraine. Um, I think a lot of people and and there was a lot of uh, journalists and analysts and the like who, uh, you know, were um, openly opining about uh, the length of time that Evgeny uh, Prigozhin would be around. <laughs> uh, in fact, um, I, I've heard quite a few an analysis at the time saying, well, I'm surprised after his uh, uh, attempted um, overthrow, if you yeah. will, of the uh, Russian government that uh, he survived that. <laughs> uh, but be that as it may, um, his fate remains uh, in question. All 10 people on board a business jet flying from Moscow to St. Petersburg were killed when it went down today. It's not clear if mercenary chief Evgeny Prigozhin was on board. The founder of the Wagner Group was on the passenger list. Yeah, so. And there are also reports that the jet actually belonged to him. And uh, I know CNN, for instance, is uh, showing repeatedly uh, some um, video of uh, what's purported to be that plane uh, just dropping like a stone basically from the sky a little trail of smoke behind it but just dropping out of control from from the sky and uh, and then showing uh, some kind of heap of burning um debris debris and, and mm -hmm. that and what looks like a, a, a jet engine on the side there that now you know whether or not that's actually the the jet um I can't say. I don't know if, um, you know, that's been confirmed. I'm sure it has. But uh, anyway, that's what I saw. And um, uh, it's... Uh it's a very interesting development. Uh, Prigozhin mounted a short-lived mutiny, as we all know, against the Russian military in late June and was exiled to, to Belarus, Belarus by the Russian president, uh, Vladimir Putin. So that's the big international news today. What that means in the long run, it's hard to say, uh, but uh, certainly an interesting development nonetheless. Well, when we come back after the news break, the March of Dimes launches its after-stroke program in Newfoundland. Land in Labrador. This is News Talk. Saturday morning, join us for the Irish Newfoundland Show. Send your request to irishnl at vocm.com or submit them online at vocm.com. Well, back in June, the provincial government announced that it was providing $105,000 in funding to the March of Dimes Canada to establish a new after-stroke program in the province. The funding will go towards the hiring of an after-stroke program coordinator to help improve supports for stroke patients their families, and their caregivers. Well, Rebecca Bourbonnet is the regional manager of March of Dimes Canada, and she joins me now. Rebecca, good afternoon. 
Good afternoon. So um, some time ago, the provincial government announced that um, the March of Dimes is going to be um, introducing its after-stroke program here in Newfoundland and Labrador. Tell us a little bit, first of all, about the program. What is it? Well, first of all, we're, we're so excited to be able to um, expand our program to offer this support to Newfoundlanders and Labradorians. Um, the after-stroke program puts stroke survivors and their caregivers at the centre of service delivery. It pairs people impacted by stroke with an after-stroke coordinator who works with a stroke survivor to determine what is most important to them then helps them identify goals and develop a personal plan to help them achieve these goals. Our coordinators connect survivors and their loved ones with peer support, resources, educational opportunities, and innovative programs. So what kind of an impact does this have on a, on a stroke survivor and or their families? This, the impact of this program is immense. We've seen such success from our pilot that we did earlier this year in the province. You know, people report feeling lonely and, um, and really overwhelmed when they return home after a stroke. This is a warm handoff to go back home and into the community after receiving great care in the hospital. It's, you know, it's really that support that wraps around the stroke survivor and their family when they return home. So you gave us a general sense of, uh, you know, its its aims and its goals and what it does. But what specifically mm-hmm. do you do? Uh, uh, let's say uh, you're connected with a, a stroke survivor and or their family. What What's the first course of action? What do you do? So the first course of action is you're connected to a real-life person. The after-stroke coordinator works um, to develop some personalized goals with the stroke survivor and their family. Um the, the goals can, you know, support their changing needs. The coordinator connects a stroke survivor to resources and programs uh, through March of Dimes Canada or in your community. Um, through March of Dimes, we offer programs like virtual exercise. We have a GRASP program, which is a, an arm and hand movement program. We have peer support groups. Uh, we have groups for people that experience aphasia, which is a communication disorder post-stroke. So we connect with the stroke survivor directly. We see what's important to them, help them establish some goals, and then find ways to work towards them. And then we check in with them to see how they're doing and, you know, kind of refresh and refine the goals as necessary. So how did Marsha Dimes get involved with this uh, after-stroke program? You mentioned it was a pilot and it's, uh, it's proving to be successful. Uh, how did you get involved? So March of Dimes Canada actually de- um, delivered and developed this program some years ago, and it's been very successful in Ontario. Um, so earlier this year, we were able to pilot the program with Eastern Health in two of their centres. And, um, you know, by demonstrating results, we were able to get some funding and, and really expand the program to Newfoundland and Labrador to ensure that people there have this support. What kind of difference does it make in a person's life? Uh, it's the difference is huge. You know, we, we really have heard so much um, from stroke survivors about the renewed confidence that they have. The ability to talk to other people that have been through the same circumstance is just life-changing. And, you know, the, the connections to virtual exercise, to different programs, um, to setting and achieving goals is immense. It's, it's a huge step forward in the recovery. All ages? All ages. And um, 
the support is there no matter you know how long ago you've had a stroke uh, you can be referred directly through the hospital or you can refer yourself at afterstroke.ca. Um, oh, yeah, that was my next question. So how, people, how can people get connected with this program? So there's two ways to get connected. Um, if you're in the community and you're not being referred through a hospital, you haven't had a stroke like very recently, you can go on our website, afterstroke.ca, and there's an online form where you can register. Or you can call our stroke support line, 1-888-540-6666. And Rebecca, is this primarily in the St. John's area? Is it, uh, you know, through a region? Is it the whole province? Uh, It's the whole province. This support is equitable and it's offered to people in anywhere in the province. Um, So you can connect to our personalized recovery program no matter where you are. Rebecca Bourbonnet, I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Thank you. And Rebecca Bourbonnet is the regional manager of March of Dimes Canada. And that after-stroke program, she mentioned it just a short while ago, but is for anyone, not just those who have recently suffered a stroke, but those who may be living with the after-effects of a stroke for years now. So uh, anyone can uh, connect with that and um, and get, uh, get more information. Well, Claudette, Linda, are you into zombies? No. (laughs) Do you know, my sister has been trying to get me to watch The Walking Dead for years, and I just couldn't do it. I don't know. The only zombie thing that I always loved was Shaun of the Dead. And if you haven't seen it, it's hilarious. It's like one of my favorite movies. They they show it on TV repeatedly now. (laughs) But uh, yeah, just uh, really, really funny and well done. Uh, Gruesome at times, but funny, funny, funny. Uh, Anyway, um, have you seen any of those... A little zombie dances, zombie dance pop-ups. Now that's That's a great bit of entertainment. Yes, I would love that. Well, head downtown the weekend. Really? Yes. Are they going down to the? They're not going down to the pedestrian mall. Where are they going? Oh, wait for it. The neighborhood dance works, who are the crowd behind all of that. Remember, they did the one in CBS at the grocery store. I saw it on video, and I thought it was so amazing, so hilarious. You know, to watch these people like it's like a thriller, like a Michael Jackson's kind of thing. Exactly. You know, they're all sort of you know dragging their legs in and and you know people sort of looking at them sideways or some people not noticing at all and all of a sudden (laughs) the music starts and they all you know (laughs) i that always puts me in a great mood if you're lucky enough to be around one of those pop-up dance things yeah uh well uh neighborhood dance works is hosting a zombie fest in downtown st john's this weekend so we'll hear more about that when we come back after the break this is news talk saturday morning join us for the irish newfoundland show send your request to irishnl at vocm.com or submit them online at vocm.com well as we mentioned before the break it may only be august but i know a lot of people are can't wait for halloween how did halloween become such a a big thing sometimes some people believe it's bigger to them than like preparing for christmas they're preparing days or weeks for their own lawns and, and getting into the spirit of things oh but. yeah no it's great fun um, yeah. but it, it, it's always struck me as kind of okay <laughs> okay that's interesting uh, yeah it doesn't, doesn't come in my mind but you know that's really cool uh well it may only be august but uh don't be surprised if you may notice swarms of ghouls and zombies in the capital cities downtown 
over the weekend. Neighborhood Dance Works hosting a mini zombie festival uh, starting Friday evening from 5.30 to 8.30 and again from 1.30 to 4.30 on Saturday. Laura Beth Power joins me now from Neighborhood Dance Works. And Laura Beth, I've been told you are referenced as the zombie queen. <laughs> uh, I'm known to some by this name, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, tell us a little bit about this uh, mini zombie festival coming for the St. John's downtown. Well, Neighborhood Dance Works hosts our annual Zombie Gram fundraiser in October every year. Some of you out there may have seen us popping up at your office uh, Halloween party or a grocery store or a neighborhood near you um, with our flash mob thriller dance. So this year we're expanding our fundraiser and we're kicking it off this year with a zombie festival. So our weekend involves learning the thriller dance. So we're doing a flash mob recruitment. So if you're interested in kind of getting spooky and scary with your dance moves, uh, this is an event for you. And um, we're also expanding our outreach with this event and teaching people how to um, do zombie makeup. So we have Pixie Mama, a well-known makeup artist in town, who will be offering a tutorial on zombie makeup we're also going to be doing a costume tutorial so you can bring your own clothing items to slash up um bloody up burn up um, and we'll also have a little costume bank there that you can pull items from and make your own once we do that we learn the dance we get our makeup on we get our costumes on we're going to do a zombie walk through downtown st john's which is definitely a thrill in and of itself as a participant of a zombie um flash mob watching the general pu public uh, witness it is hilarious and a really great time. And then we'll finish it with a flash mob. So we're going to do uh, Michael Jackson's Thriller. And uh, we have our veteran thriller dancers that are going to be coming to join that to kind of boost the attendance. And then also anyone who's willing to learn you can always just zombie off if you're unsure of a dance move it's, it's quite a good time and you do not need to be a professional dancer or an experienced dancer the more awkward your dance moves the better actually <laughs> well i'm in then uh, um so uh, why zombies in particular um well for halloween it's um you know a classic halloween character and um there's I guess like once we hit the middle of July, any Halloween lovers out there, you know, we're anticipating um, this great holiday of the year. The Halloween stores are open now and um, it's just, it's just fun for, for all ages to put in on a costume, to get dressed up, put on some makeup and uh, have a little bit of a spooky, scary moment, no matter the time of year. So how did these this idea behind uh, zombie grams and flash mob zombie thriller uh, performances turn into a festival? Well, every year our group of dancers expands and um, everyone's always asking like how to do the makeup or how to make your costume. And we kind of just tease in some suggestions or send out some YouTube tutorials that are online um, to help people like guide them along their 
zombie journey. Um, and yeah, so this year we thought let's incorporate this into our community outreach and expand it so that we can incorporate, we can include more people and we can invite more people into this fun activity. Uh, are all ages attracted to this type of performance? Yes, all ages are. You'd be surprised, actually, how many young children are very interested in Michael Jackson's Thriller dance. It's uh, it's very cute. Um, we've had, like, five-year-olds learn the full dance and perform with us in full Michael Jackson um out, full Michael Jackson outfit, like the red pants and jacket with the glove. <laughs> it's uh, it's awesome. They definitely steal the show. But all ages, all the way up to like 65, 70-year-olds can um, engage in this community um, dance performance. And it's just very uplifting and positive experience for, for anyone. So Thriller is the natural go-to there, but there are any other pieces of uh, music that lend itself to uh, zombie dancing? Yeah, we've done some Halloween mashups in the past. Last year, we returned back to Thriller. After a a couple years, we did a little hiatus. Um, And we did The Nightmare Before Christmas. We've done Time Warp. Um, the Exorcist theme song, and we've done a little bit of a mashup of those of those uh, of those tracks, and choreographed new material. And it's always a good time. So you can zombie dance to any song, I think. <laughs> How about Werewolves of London? That's always one of my favorites. Oh, that's a really great idea. Uh-huh. I think maybe you can expand uh... into werewolves. That's right. Werewolves is a, and that's a good costume too. Hmm. Mm. <laughs> Ideas are rolling. <laughs> well, Laura Beth, this is great. Uh, so, uh, um, to participate in um, uh, the Zombie Fest, I guess people can contact you. But uh, for the general public, what can they expect to see and when? Friday evening from 5.30 to about 8.30, we will be downtown. Uh, This event is sponsored by Downtown St. John's, and we're going to be using the real downtown park, like where they show the films, parking lot at the bottom of Solomon's Lane for our zombie uh, training. So anybody passing by on Water Street Friday evening, you'll be able to either just jump in and join us or... You can watch uh, the thriller rehearsals or the makeup applications and that type of thing. You can be just an observer. You don't need to actually participate. Um, and then also on Saturday afternoon from 1.30 to 4.30. Once we've applied all of our makeup and our costumes, we will then hit the street and we'll do a zombie walk down Water Street through the pedestrian mall. So around 8 p.m. on Friday and around 4 p.m. on Saturday and we'll finish with a um, flash mob somewhere on the pedestrian mall. So you have to be on the lookout and follow the zombies. What great fun. Uh, uh, zombie queen, Laura Beth Power, really appreciate your time. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me and have a spooky weekend. <laughs> you too. Bye. So can you do the moves? Like, no, back and forth with the claws. You know? Crying. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a very stiff dancer. <laughs> well, apparently that's perfect. That's perfect. She just said. Oh.
The more awkward you are, the better. So we both fit in greatly then. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I don't know if zombies typically trip over and fall and get dizzy. Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> I want to win. They wouldn't be that dance. scary, would they? It's like, what a pathetic zombie. I'm not afraid of that. It's interesting, though, that she's encouraging people to just go down and watch them get ready and watch them dance. That would yeah. make it even creepier. Yeah, and they're inviting people down to become a zombie. Yeah. So if you've got some old clothes around, start ripping it now. <laughs> just encourage people to destroy their clothes. Start destroying your wardrobe. And get ready for the zombie <laughs> festival this weekend. Uh, so, the, yeah, they're going to have a little flash mob at some point. That's great. Uh, so that's going to be an added attraction for the oh, yeah. pedestrian mall. For sure. I mean, can you imagine people who might not have heard this program today and just say, imagine just going down there and all of a sudden zombies are just walking out. Oh, what kind a, of a feeling. What a thrill. thrill. <laughs> <laughs> you saw that coming a mile yeah. away, didn't you? Uh, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, something to do the weekend. Uh, they're going to be uh, applying the makeup and all that good stuff to make you all uh, desiccated uh, in the uh, area where they do the real downtown. They do the little film thing. Yeah, the free film. Solomon's Lane there. Mm-hmm. So that's where they're going to be preparing all these dead bodies. And... Um, <laughs> And get your zombie training in, and then off they go. I mean, you know, imagine if you really liked it. What would you do? I mean, (laughs) career change. Well, you know, (laughs) wouldn't it be funny if I just walked in one day, you know, teeth hanging out in the eyeball and and started doing my show. I'm doing my show like that. Or so, you know. Linda, that would make my year. (laughs) It really would. (laughs) <laughs> anyway, so there you go. A little something to do the weekend. And for people who are outside the St. John's area, it might be that excuse to say, I'm finally going down to the pedestrian, pedestrian mall. mall. Yep, I think it would make it extra entertaining. I love the fact that they, they're after doing a number of things down at the mall. I think people are starting to think outside the box to get more people down there. They recently had a fun run, too, I believe. So mm-hmm. it's just little things to get people to enjoy your backyard. Things. Yeah, yeah, yeah just stuff. I mean, I, I would anticipate even more things for, for next year once you realize how successful these things are going to be because it just draws out smiles from everybody who goes down there and, and sees something unique like that. Yeah, for sure. Um, anyway, there you go. Uh, zombie Fest in the uh, St. John's Pedestrian Mall downtown. Well, we've been talking about this now uh, over the last, uh, since about mid-afternoon or so when the news first broke, but uh, a business jet en route from Moscow to St. Petersburg has crashed, killing all 10 people on board. Russian emergency officials uh, confirmed Officials say mercenary chief Yevgeny Prigozhin was on that passenger list, but it wasn't immediately clear if he was on board. Unconfirmed media reports said that the jet belonged to Prigozhin, founder of the Wagner private military company. Russia's civilian aviation regulator Rosa Vyatsia said uh, Prigozhin was on the passenger list. However, it was not immediately clear if he had had, in fact, boarded the flight. So there's a a very interesting uh, international development. Uh, Aside from that, um, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau today, among other things, provided a little update on the wildfire situation, both in Northwest Territories and British Columbia. My understanding is that things appear to be improving somewhat in British Columbia um, because of some heavy rain overnight that helped to douse the flames of some of those very active 
active fires, uh, and uh, officials now trying to get a clearer picture of the extent of the damage in that particular province. They say 174 properties have been partially or totally damaged by the fires that had rampaged around Lake Okanagan since last Thursday and forced thousands of people to evacuate. West Kelowna Fire Chief Jason Broland says a total of 84 properties partially or totally damaged in West Kelowna and the West Bank First Nation, while Chief Ross Kotschirkovsky of the Northwest Side Fire Rescue Department says 90 properties in his firefighting region were damaged or destroyed, although some, including the Lake Okanagan Resort, consist of multiple structures. Both fire officials say their regions have gotten a lot of rain, and that's helping in uh, the fighting of those fires in the B.C. area. Well, uh, also in the Northwest Territories, as we know, Thousands evacuated from around the uh, Great Slave Lake area, including people from uh, Yellowknife, as we all know. Lots of Newfoundlanders working up in that area. Um, that uh, They're getting a better sense now of when, if at all possible, people will be able to return to their... Um, to the area because we don't know how much damage has been done to properties in that area. It's just been uh, an extraordinary year when it comes to forest fires in Canada. Knockwood, we've been very lucky in Newfoundland and Labrador. We've had that nice mix of uh, you know warm temperatures but rain uh, yes, that no. um, hopefully have um, you know helped us yeah, through. Yeah, hopefully Franklin the last will not little impact while. us, but we yeah, don't know but yet. Boy, oh boy, what a devastating year it has been right across Canada in terms of those forest fires, not the least of which was Nova Scotia, as we know, in the beginning of the season. Um, anyway, watching that all very closely, so stay tuned for that. We'll have more details on that as well, and uh, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau provided a little update as well. We'll hear that in the news coming up now with Richard Duggan. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll be back tomorrow. Do join us then.